Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience Podcast with your hosts, Yasmina and Ari, who will be uncovering gems of wisdom with Jewish educators from around the world. To support our podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Jewish Education Experience Podcast. Our guest today is Rabbi Lori Foreman Jacoby. Rabbi Lori is the director of Jewish Journeys. She has worked in Jewish education for over 30 years, heading both a community congregational school and two Hebrew high schools in the New York metropolitan area. Rabbi Lori was ordained from the Jewish Theological Seminary in 1988 and was a member of the first rabbinical class that included female students. Wow. She is the co-editor of Sacred Intentions, Morning Inspiration to Strengthen the Spirit, and Nighttime Inspirations to Calm the Soul. Well, thank you, Rabbi Lori. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Definitely a pleasure. It's really such an amazing accomplishment that you were one of the first rabbinical class of female students there. That is amazing. Yeah. How did how did that feel at the time? Well, at the time it was just so exciting because we had been waiting a long time for the conservative institutions to open their doors to um, women who wanted to study to be rabbis. And so uh, it was exciting. You know, I am originally from California. And so I actually came to New York to start in New York because I really felt like I wanted to be with another cohort. Like I didn't want to be the sole the sole woman starting at the what was then called the University of Judaism. Uh, so I came and I started at JTS. It was 1984. And I, I had never really been to New York. It was really a, a whole new world for me. Well, can you tell us more about how you began your journey in education? Well, yes. I mean, I think that Jewish education was significant in my personal life, for sure, and also was what really drew me to study for the rabbinate. So, like, as I mentioned, I grew up in um, in a suburb outside Los Angeles, and I was really always drawn to Jewish education and ended up going to Camp Ramah in California. So the synagogue had given me some sort of like a scholarship when I was 10, and my parents would never have sent me to that camp. I came from a highly assimilated family. And then when I went to camp, it really opened my eyes to this really warm community and this kind of, you know, sense of meaning and purpose. And I think it really molded who I was. I had some wonderful uh, mentors and role models over those years. And then I just continued in this Jewish educational path as an individual. I went to Hebrew high school. I went to Israel when I was a teenager. I think I graduated high school early, if I'm not mistaken. I did. And I ended up on a kibbutz for four months at the end of my high school years. So it really became a big part of my life. And so I always found Jewish education to be very creative. And that is what I've always liked in it. And that's sort of what I ended up doing when I finished rabbinical school. It was 1988. And I started to be the I was the director of a program on the Upper West Side called the West Side Jewish Institutional School, which I always share because it was a school that served the students of about three or four different synagogues, not so unlike what happened at the beginning of Jewish Journeys when I started it back in 2012. 
The difference being is that the school in 1988 was just a traditional Hebrew school that synagogues shared because uh, they didn't have sufficient enrollment to have their own. But when the Jewish Journey Project started in 2012, it really was an attempt for for these institutions to come together and to um, to 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 change Jewish education and to present a different way of, of becoming educated. Yeah, I'll just stop there. <laughs> wow. Well, you you kind of touched on this a little bit before. But are there any educators in particular that you admire? Yes. Um, so the educators who are very important to my life are um, Vicki Kelman and Gail Dorf. They're both two women who are in California and they were at the time uh, in Los Angeles when I was growing up and involved with Camp Ramah. And they were both very, very uh, important to my life and to my growth as an educator. Yeah, I credit them both, really, in so many ways for, for putting me on this path. Wow. OK, well, how do you talk about God and how might that differ with the various age groups that you teach? So, you know, I am in a program now that honestly, we don't talk about God a lot because it is a program that situated at the JCC Manhattan. So it's considered to be a cultural educational program, not necessarily um uh yeah not one that is directed i would say by god or theology um you know the hebrew homepage platform that i created which was a way for students to learn hebrew online we also put the prayer learning online because we really couldn't do it in the building itself which is an unusual thing but because of the sort of a non-sectarian nature of the jcc manhattan they didn't want us to teach prayers in the building so so we are much more limited, or not limited, but we just step away from that. Many of my students come from families where there is no God talk and no discussion about God. And it's just assumed, really, I think that there is no God in the world. And by the time I would want to open that conversation with them, before their bar and bat mitzvah, I find that they've already been jaded to some extent. So I don't have an easy answer for you. But that's sort of the experience I'm in right now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I have another hundred questions for you now. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would definitely like to come back to that. Um, it's it's unfortunate um, the way you put it a little bit there. But um, I guess more generally, um, education, right, in Hebrew, chinuch, can be an amorphous term. So how do you define education? Look, I, I describe education as encountering information and um, beliefs and um, guidance and exploring it and discussing it and to seeing how it reverberates and applies to one's life today. So um, in the best possible worlds, I would say um, a traditional education that allows children to encounter, you know, um, traditional texts and to kind of wrestle with them is a kind of education that I think can be, you know, very fruitful and can kind of impact, can be impactful to one's growth and one's identity as a Jew. Um, Really, today, though, Jewish education has moved in in very different directions, I think. Um, And I think, um, you know, largely it's to give uh, children a sense of the holidays and to give them some understanding of the Bible stories um, and then to orient them towards some bar bat mitzvah celebration, though uh, in our world, it's not necessarily like a traditional liturgical bar bat mitzvah. So I I think it's changed a lot in my 30 some years of educating, not necessarily for the positive, 
Do you think that's because parents, kids, especially you're in Manhattan or so they're only doing Hebrew school, maybe once a week, twice a week, whatever it is. Do you think that's why it's changed so much? I think yes and yes. Let me say what that means to me. Um, Look, I think, yes, people are very busy. They try to certainly pre-COVID the kind of um, hectic schedules that children had really, you know, ruled their lives and ruled their families' lives. I don't know what that will be after COVID if people are going to like pull back a little bit in terms of scheduling their children's lives. But I think somehow instead of we, we went in the direction of trying to make Jewish educational relevant to the child, but without a home base or without any connection back to their home life, I don't think, I think it's hard for that relevancy to really have a, you know, a life of its own. So yes, I can teach different values and stories through drama or through art, ceramics, plays, you know, there's many, many kind of modalities that I've used to teach different Jewish content. But I think that the, the weak link is unfortunately that the, doesn't there's no fertile ground for it in in their homes right right Um, it's true yeah so you've mentioned some definitely some some big challenges um what would you say is the biggest challenge that you faced as an educator that it doesn't exist in the parents homes okay wow it doesn't like you know it doesn't uh doesn't exist i mean aside from I think it's even gotten to the point, unfortunately, where like um, even things that like uh, we thought parents the, like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the you know, like even like, look, take this year for an example. Rosh Hashanah is next Monday night. I think many of my parents are not even coming back to town for Rosh Hashanah. Wow. Wow. Because school doesn't start till later that week. The New York Public City School starts on the 13th. Why come back earlier than you have to? And so I think it's just, okay, we want to Rosh Hashanah this year. So, wow. So you think parent families aren't even going to do Rosh Hashanah at all? No, I don't think so. Wow. Right. Yeah. Certain things you can't outsource, I guess. You know, and so I just unfortunately think that instead of the life fitting into a Jewish cycle, they think that a Jewish cycle has to fit into their life. Right. So, so how, how do you stay motivated with all that? as an educator? You know, it's challenging, I have to say. I mean, I think that the most meaningful thing is um, when I work with the Barn Bat Mitzvah students and we allow them to do some sort of like meaningful project to extend their Devar Torah. So they do learn to chant some of the psukim, some of the Torah verses, certainly not as many as in a synagogue setting. They do write a Devar Torah, so they study their parsha in English and they try to make meaning of it. But we do really push them to do something um, creative. And so I've had children do like amazing art pieces based on the Parsha or I had a girl write like a spoken word poetry presentation last year. Mm-hmm. And so I, that has been very inspiring to see kind of where they can take that. That I definitely can hear that that would be inspiring. It's interesting. It takes a lot of thought on their behalf. It also draws on the on the part of this current program I run, the Jewish Journeys, that we really feel like we want the kids to use the modalities that they love. For sure. Strengthen their Jewish connection. So this one girl who liked poetry, I could, and also what I do is I can connect them up to a mentor in that modality and let them work with that person for two or three times to really make it special and make it deeper than just if they did it on their own. I'm curious with Jewish Journeys, is that something that only the Manhattan 
Hebrew schools are using, or is it something that other congregations from across the states are using? Right. So if you don't mind, let me just give a tad of history. So the Jewish Journeys as a program started at the JCC Manhattan, now called the Marlene Myers JCC Manhattan. Uh, So we're going into our 10th year. It started under the vision and leadership of Rabbi Joy Levitt, who really wanted to really present a different way of educating youth, I think, in the traditional Hebrew school model. And so when we started our in-person classes, uh, which were based on all these modalities, we were in partnership with three other synagogues and the classes took place like, you know, all over the Upper West Side and kids could go to any location they wanted. Um, but then we had to struggle with what are we going to do with Hebrew? And right. I very much did not want to recreate a Hebrew class that I had, you know, had in earlier re- iterations of Hebrew schools. And, um, you know, so I said, well, I would love to find a way to do this online. And, you know, this was eight years ago, um, right. way before COVID. And so slowly we built out this Hebrew homepage program where our, the children are matched with a tutor uh, for a 30 minute session once a week. And lo and behold, something that I did as a as a as a like little experiment really became the beloved part of my program. Wow. When you start something, you never really know what's going to like catch on. And the kids love this. They really form bonds with their tutors. They asked for the same tutor year after year. And sometimes that worked out. And they just uh, at the time, if you can recall eight years ago, offering Hebrew online was sort of a value added thing. Right. Because I be able to say you could do it from the comfort of your home. You could do it in your parents' kitchen. And I think the parents also liked it vicariously. They got to hear their children practice Hebrew. And uh, for most parents today, it's not something they themselves can either teach or reinforce with their child. So having it in their house was a very nice thing. Um, So five years into our program, the Jewish Journey Project, the synagogue said, we want to keep Hebrew homepage, but we're going to go back and take the other pieces back into our synagogue framework. Gotcha. Okay, so now I have eight synagogues who participate with me on Hebrew homepage. I just got two new ones beyond New York and excuse me, beyond New York City, I would say. And I think we're going to have like 500 kids on Hebrew homepage this year. So we have a learn to read Hebrew track. We have a prayer book for, you know, or I think I call it reading fluency for prayer book Hebrew. And then we have a, a modern Hebrew track. Most of the kids, of course, do the first two. And the synagogues give me their priorities and their matbea, like, you know, how they want the kids to, to the, the, like the, if they have special melodies or special uh, uh, v- versions of the prayer, you know, we can include it in the material that the tutors present. So overall, it's been very positive. It's been extremely positive. And um, and then I developed something called JJ Connect, which is an umbrella term I use to discuss this, like um, the other Jewish study units I created online. So once Hebrew homepage was a success, I said, oh, well, let's try to push some more Hebrew content into the home. So I created units on like the Jewish calendar and the holidays. I have a unit on Genesis and the stories of Genesis. I have a 
a unit on mitzvot, how we care, and another one on Jewish history, and another one on uh, Jewish leaders and their values. So I encourage the students to do like a half an hour of Hebrew and a half an hour of one of these content classes. How has that new introduction of JJ Connect been as opposed to um, Hebrew homepage? So JJ Connect is is really uh, just used by my students at JCC Manhattan because the synagogues were really interested in only the Hebrew part of it. And the students who who sign up for it at JJC, I mean, I think they really like it. Um, it's, uh, you know, once again, it it becomes an issue of choice and it got complicated with COVID because parents didn't want their kids on the screen so much. So we'll have to see what happens once um, once things shake out a little bit here. Right. Yeah, I understand that. But there are students who like, can't come in person um, or they live far away. And I always say to them, you know, take, do these units. They're sort of basic units. Do these units online and do Hebrew. And the truth of the matter is those kids who do both, they really can get a really solid basis. Wow, it's uh, interesting and, you know, so many challenges, I think, going on. Yeah. I'm wondering, what advice would you give to new educators who are just beginning their journey? I would say to, to really build on the relationships that they can create with their students and their parents um, and to really get to know them as people and to and to look at the fact that they are bringing their child into the Jewish world as a positive, no matter all the different hurdles they're going to put in front of that new educator, the fact that they are still knocking on your door to really embrace that and to see how, you know, you can make it take, because I do think the future of education is going to be a, a tailored approach. And so I think the more you're open to tailoring the experiences to a family and that you don't find that to be um, a too high a hurdle to jump, the more um, excited you'll be and the more satisfied you'll be. Nice. Yeah, I like yeah. that advice. I think it's needed for sure. I do think that that is, uh, I don't, yeah, I think it's going to be much more tailored going forward. Okay. So besides for that, what, what do you think successful Jewish education in the future looks like? That's such a big question. You try to ask the big ones here. Why you are. <laughs> You know, I think that there are the two worlds of the day school world and the after school world. And I do, and that, you know, the supplemental school world. And I do know that the majority of Jewish parents send their kids to some version of a supplemental school. Right. But um, and so that's sort of where I planted myself. I don't necessarily know that it's like education that we're doing in that world. Well, there's also the, also the camp world, right? That well, you were in world is fantastic. I think if more people sent their kids to Jewish camp, I think that that would be like so great. But unfortunately, it's you know, uh, I mean, the camps have expanded, and I do think that they're full. Um, but certainly, if I look at like my population, I think only like maybe three kids went to Jewish camps. Right. Well, maybe we should do the school stuff just during the summer, and the rest of the year we'll we'll all go to camp. Yeah, right. <laughs> would be a lot of I think it could work. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, you know, I wonder if there in, I think we're going to need a lot of different approaches. I think that if there are some people who could be mentors to families and you could sort of have small groups of families with Jewish teachers or educators connected to them 
And those educators would be willing to push experiences and holiday celebrations and and, and education as well into home spaces. I think that that could be something to look into. You know, I think that it's just a lot of hand. I think it becomes a high touch model as we move forward. Right. So I'm just curious, like, do you think that that also kind of solves the uh, the some of the financial issues with Jewish education? You know, like um, teachers, you know, maybe not being valued as much or being compensated like they should. You know, if you're saying more personal touch, does that mean that it's more of like a, you know, professional thing that you can kind of like, there's more, there's going to be more money to be made for people that want to go into the field? Think of the world of tutoring. There are people who make a living as tutors, you know, or they become entrepreneurial and they start their own like little solo practice of educator, of being an educator to families. I think that's only going to grow to tell you the truth. And I right. And I think that that is a way that people are trying to make more money. Hmm. I certainly think that in the in the supplemental Jewish educational space, I don't really think you can make a living unless you're the administrator. I mean, it's so much of a part time right. job. Yeah, it's a huge problem, it seems. And I don't see that necessarily changing. I think that as the tutoring industry in general education grows, and parents become more used to paying for that, they will, it will spill over to the Jewish educational world. I mean, I think it's already happened to tell you the truth. Hmm. So I think a lot of education does happen. Well, I look, I'm situated in Manhattan, but many of my students have tutors for various subjects. And I think that then when you just add the Hebrew or the Judaica tutor, it's for these parents, it's just one more tutor. Right. You know, and I, I, I'm not sure that's a sustainable part, you know, it's not anything sustainable for, for, you know, the various kinds of communities that exist across the country. But I do think that um, it, it, I think it needs to be a family tutor, not just an individual child tutor. Wow. Yeah. In your opinion, do you think that's something families are willing to pay for or are looking for? I think there might be some. I think parents are stretched thin and they have their own interests. And um, But on the other hand, I just think that it's hard to give a child a, a whole world in an hour to a week. Right. It's, you know, it's just hard. Um, so, look, I think the fact that there was that Happy Camper initiative, if you're familiar with that, where first time campers were given $1,000 to go to Jewish camps. I hope that continues. I think that's really a very positive thing. But I think that the educator, I think it's a tricky little thing because I think that the educators who are the most positive, who are the most impactful, but are the ones that almost have less boundaries than others. You know, they're the ones who are willing to bring the parents into their homes, willing to go into the parents' homes. And as an individual at this stage in my life, you know, I have more boundaries. I'm not so interested in meshing all those worlds together. Hmm. Um, But I do think that educators who are willing to do that will have more impact. Wow. So that is interesting. You know, um, if you think about the success of Chabad and but take away the theology and take away the Rebbe and all that stuff. The success of Chabad is that they train these shlichim to be very warm and to be outgoing and to, I mean, no boundaries at all, right? They do anything for you. It is an interesting model. I wonder, is that something that could work for the Hebrew school model? But you need the individuals who are willing, you need the adults who are willing 
to work in that way, not on an hourly basis. Mm, I see. In, a, in this very flexible, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. way. It's interesting. Well, hopefully uh, some of these issues, I know finances, all these things are big issues in the in Jewish yeah. education. Hopefully that can all be worked out as we move forward in the future. And I think there was a study that just came out. And the, I mean, there really is acknowledgement that in the supplemental world that the lack of funding for good teachers and to make it a profession, you know, is a is a is a weakness. There's certainly acknowledgement of that. But, you know, if you think about it, the whole synagogue world is built on the fact that the Hebrew school is a loss leader for congregational membership. So they they lower the cost of the Hebrew schools and but because they want people to pay the membership. And then the and then the synagogues cover whatever deficit there is in the Hebrew school. Right. But um, that is also tricky, because if you have a membership board that. So, but we don't want there to be such a big, you know, that don't recognize the role that the families play and they try to cut back that that deficit that the school runs, you know, then it's an issue of resources. One of the things that I think I learned was I had really some, we did a lot of fundraising at the very beginning of this program. And the fact that I had significant funds, philanthropic funds, really made just so much possible. And I was so fortunate in that and blessed and I could do try a lot of things and some things were great. Some things weren't as great. But the fact that I didn't have anybody being counting on the other end really was amazing. Wow. Yeah. So much to think about. Well, Rabbi Lori, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and everything. And I know we, we have a lot of issues, I think, in Jewish education to work out. And hopefully by continuing this conversation with this podcast and talking to various educators that we can help uh, move forward in a more positive direction. We're very optimistic. Yes, I hope so. We should all have a very sweet and healthy and happy new year. It's only a week away. Hard to believe that. I can't, I can't believe it. (laughs) It's just like coming up on us. So a Shana Tova to everyone. And thank you very much for this invitation. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Amen. you, so Thank you. Yeah. And Shana Tova and all the best.